Papadum, 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 Welcome to the Native Immigrants Halloween Special. Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Native Immigrants. I'm your host Swami Barakas and as always I'm joined by my co-host Jojo underscore B. What's going on Jojo B? Hello. It's that time of the year Jojo B. It is. My least favourite holiday of the year. Your least favourite? Yeah, I'm not a massive fan. Really? Yeah, it's never done anything for me. But I thought you loved it more than I did though. Really? Yeah, well, because you like the genre. Okay, okay. So, it is a Halloween special. Yes, it is. This is Halloween. Yeah. This is that time of the year. Yeah. I love horror. horror yeah, exactly. So, horror, you like it all year round, but except at Halloween. No, but I'm not a big fan of Halloween. Like the, the Halloween's festival. all about This whole this. trick-or-treating and going around scrounging people for sweets and shit and like carving pumpkins like you did the other day and almost like slit your finger yes um, uh, the knife actually <laughs> slipped and i thought for a minute that i had might have um chopped my finger off yeah but no because the light the knives are too blunt so <laughs> thankfully <laughs> that saved the tip of my little finger yeah yeah no it did it saved us going for, to a and e again um which uh there was there was a time when i had many uh finger related injuries wait, wait. Uh, not that kind of thing. No, with knives and cutting, yeah. and uh, I have lots of scars on my hands because of that. Mm. Um, no, Jojo B is a real life horror film. Yes, uh, with the amount of uh, gruesome uh, scenes that she's been involved in in yes, a kitchen. Yes, I did cut uh, a chunk of my finger off. Um, yes, you did. And then by the time we got scene two, it had stuck itself back together again. Big up the NHS. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no. I'm, a, I'm a hazard no yeah you are uh, which means that this time of the year is kind of one of your favorite ones because it does symbolize everything that is about your life yeah um, I, I i'm a big fan of halloween in terms of the slightly tamer side of things yeah so i will happily watch like family-friendly halloween films <laughs> what, what, what's anything family, to do with vampires what's a family-friendly halloween film um like the Adams Family. Wow. Or Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is one of the best films for Halloween. But like these are like fun things that I used to watch as a child. And then I also really like kind of any kind of horror, uh, like not horror film. Uh, like any no, kind of horror. No, any kind of vampire saying, yeah, film. I love tucking into like a pound of steak. And no, shit. You know I mean? love vampire films is what I was going to say. And um, whether they are tame or really gruesome Vampire films are great. Mm. Um, what else? That's it. I can't watch like zombie films. I can't watch anything to do with ghosts. 
at all or right. real people, which is why most of it is like but the zombies are technically real people that are just now dead. Uh, yeah, the I undead. know. Werewolves, absolutely fine. Mm. But when it comes to real people and ghosts, no. Right. Just keep me away. Keep me. I, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm really bad with those kind of films. Paranormal Activity had me having nightmares for like three years. Yeah, you have. You so, still talk about it now, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. So, no, my mind, uh, overactive imagination. Right, okay. Well, well, I, on the other end of the spectrum, love a good horror film. As I've said on multiple times here on The Native Immigrants, uh, our first Halloween special a couple of seasons ago uh, was my favourite Native Immigrants show of all time. It um, would be the one that I'm not in. Obviously, and stuff. That was an added bonus. That was at the cherry on the cake. Uh, but it was a, a chance for us to relive our youth and the kind of things that we got up to uh, on Halloween, including some disastrous Halloween costumes. So make sure you listen back <laughs> to that show uh, in your archives uh, to find out oh, the tragedy, <laughs> the tragedy that is Jojo B's life. Um, and and since then, obviously, I've not got a chance to watch too many horror films, but. Well, this show, Jojo B has allowed me to watch some horror films, obviously by myself. Jojo yeah, I just go in the other room. room. To be fair, it's just an excuse for me to be able to have some time to myself. Yeah. Um, well, that, yeah, exactly. But then anything can happen when you're by yourself. Not because when you're in the other room, though, because then, then I could just run in, in and hide then, behind you. But then what if I'm not there and then all the lights go off and all flat? You know, it actually and happened to me in my house once. So in my mum and dad's house, I used to be really scared because I watched Scream yeah. and I got really scared of being at home. I'm like, shut up. I got really scared of being at home on my own when I watched Scream as a teenager. And I was at home alone and in New it was like this time of year, so it gets dark really early. In Newcastle, it gets darker even earlier. Yeah. And... um. Our fuse box used to be in the garage. Big up. And like at the far end of the garage, not even next to the door. Shout to the north. So um, I, the lights all went off. I put a, a kind of switch the light on. It blew. All the lights went off in the house. And it was pitch black. <laughs> I had to find a torch, which I could not do. So then I just had to go. And you know, I have no night vision. You have no vision regardless. No. And so then I had to go. And this this fuse box is really high up. So what you used to have to do is try and open it with like the broomstick handle. Wow. And then with another, like like with a mop or whatever, try and flick the switch. <laughs> so I was doing this in the dark and just praying that no one would kill me. It was Honestly, I was so scared. It was unbelievable. Was it praying no one would kill you rather than no one would see you? Because I can just imagine the sight of it, even with the lights on, it's just like a, a bit of a ghastly sight in itself. Um, honestly, just, it was just, I was very scared. Scream is actually like quite a scary film. No, mate, there there are some very scary moments in Scream. Like the, the first open, one, oh, yeah, the, the rest f- of them are rubbish. Yeah, the, but the first kind one, of like five ten minutes, is is pretty horrific. And it kind of it's one of those things that's become like a pop culture, uh, you know, like iconic, yeah, like sort of first well, five ten minutes. Between that and Dilem for Murder. Mm great Hitchcock film if you haven't seen it but yeah. between those two I was really scared of answering the phone shit <laughs> just generally like that I just you, didn't want to answer the phone is that why you don't answer the phone even now when people call you and all your friends are like <laughs> trying to get through to you and just like I can't bother no, speak to right me now. we've already established it's not, everyone just stopped ringing me <laughs> and why got, is that because <laughs> they got sick of me not answering but yes 
Yes. <laughs> I don't like answering the phone. And because you can't no, link no. You everything. Know the house, the house phone link... was always in the hallway, wasn't it? And this was before we had those ones that moved around the house. This right. is like the ones with the, the curly wire. Right. And so right. you had to go in the hallway. And if you were by yourself, mm, and yeah. ours was right next to a window. And so, you know, it was just really scary. It was like scream. And then you know, dial in for murder. It was like the, the stairs like it was kind of at the bottom of the stairs so then anyone could come down the stairs and like yeah, 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 wrap yeah. something around my neck it's just my I told you my mind just goes off in millions of directions which are not good none of them are good directions to go in no 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 you'll clearly pick the worst direction <laughs> you know when it comes to these kind of things and you'll end up in most in the most dangerous situation why do people just go direction? outside that's what I don't know why would you get you know go upstairs and wh or why would you just like leave like the kitchen where all of the sharp things are and so you can kind of protect yourself slightly. Mm. Why would you go upstairs in the dark? Why don't you just run outside and go at the neighbour or something? That's, That's what I don't understand. What, what, what if you could hear like someone like calling for you upstairs? No, don't, please. It's going to stop freaking me out. <laughs> don't. Stop it. I used to have the worst nightmares. No, because you know how bad my nightmares used to be. And I used to have to, I used to live on my own for like, I'd lived on my own for like three months. And it was literally the worst time ever because I didn't sleep for the three months. I just refused. And then I made you stay. Remember, I used to make oh, yeah. you stay because I was so scared that because it was a beautiful wow. flat, but it was like a creaky old flat. Yes. And I used to freak out. So mm. I just didn't sleep for three months. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And neither did I, obviously, because I had to end up staying with Jojo B at the time. So um, I wouldn't get to sleep either because you'd be tossing and turning, having some crazy nightmares in your yeah, mind anyway. I just honestly like the nightmares bad. So I know that's why I stay awake. I read something. Oh, God. I read something Here about how you should just not. If something doesn't bring you joy, <laughs> then you should not go anywhere near it, especially if you have anxiety. Like so now wow. I, that's what I do. I just I just. Watch things that want that bring me joy, which is why you get angry with me for not wanting to watch half the depressing stuff that you want to watch. Because it just doesn't bring me joy. It's not, but it's this informative stuff that kind of opens is. your mind up to what's happening but in the world. horror films aren't informative things. No, horror films give you, you know, a little bit of a thrill. And the, Apart the from maybe like, ride. you know, like, I don't know, is The Purge a horror film? But like, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Well, The Purge is pretty much the way the world is going. Well, so that's, that's saying, slightly yeah. informative. And Get Out. So I've watched quite a few. Like Get Out is classed as a horror. Yeah, no, they are. They're very, they're very, yeah, tame horror films, but very good horror films. Um, you know, I think they're ho horrific because they're like realistic. Well, the, weird, the, the world we not, is. That's the thing. Like we're, we're talking about Halloween and, you know, us, um, you know, having a celebratory day uh, special show for that occasion. But we are living in... Uh, a real life horror film yes. in the last uh, six or seven months, uh, which will continue to do so for as long as it decides to eat away at our society. The pandemic. Yeah. Um, I can imagine the number of like B grade uh, films that will come out of this time period in the ensuing years. Well, isn't there one in India coming out called Loving Corona or something? Maybe, but as we aptly talk about India and horror, mm. in the second half of this show, I'm once again joined by the horrific Ashish Gadvi, who is a filmmaker who's currently got a film out right now doing the festival circuit around the world called The Mountain of Light. Yeah. And he's going to be joining me in the second half of this show as we discuss Asian horror films in the past year. It's about to get nerdy up in here. <laughs> nerdy, but it's, you know, we're going to go all spoilerific on this and talk about some of the, well, 
best or worst. We don't know. We're going to review and talk about what are the big films that have been out on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Uh, and get you ready for Halloween viewing. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we're going to go all guns blazing on these and tell you. Because we, 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 we spoke about that show a couple of years ago when we spoke about how some of the biggest Hollywood films are actually quite Asian in themselves. Mm. But now we're going to talk specifically about Indian horror films um, and what we've got to bring to the table in terms of, uh, you know, gruesome, beastly delights. Yeah. Um, so we will be reviewing those in the second half of this show. Uh, so what's coming up in the first half right now? Well, you heard something at the start of this show, which is quite apt because we're talking about horror. And this has been something that's uh, come to the uh, the masses currently with how potentially horrific it actually is. The Wiggles uh, released a song back in 2014. Is that how old it is? It is indeed. Wow. Six years ago oh is when God. this track it's actually taken some came time out. time to like, you know, peak. Yeah, go viral. <laughs> not, and not everyone's Jojo V, you know, when it comes to going viral on Twitter. But a song that's made its rounds on social media in the past week has been uh, a song called Poppadom. Oh, God. Uh, it's a children's track. Aimed at young children. Yeah. We've got to obviously say that first and foremost. Uh, but it uh, comes across fairly cringeworthy, it's, potentially yeah. offensive. And very irritating. Irritatingly catchy, though. It's so annoying. People, don't, people, people are talking about this and going up in arms about, like, you know, the cultural appropriation and all this kind of shit of it. But, bruv, like, I can't get this track out of my head. And I have been known in the past few days to belt it out in our living room as well. Yes, time. you have. He loves an irritating song. Yeah. And he loves to irritate me with those songs. Yeah. And this one in particular has been highly irritating. Yeah. it's um, But, you know, like I said, it's, it's a track that is aimed at children. But watching this video and um, the clothing, the dancing, the use of a cricket bat. Yeah, that's the bit I didn't understand. I was like, <laughs> what? Yeah, just all of a sudden, there's a cricket bat. There is a cricket bat, basically, in there. Just guys playing cricket. Um, they yeah, they touch on numerous, obviously, stereotypes. Um, and it's it's you know it's, it's Australian, basically. There's an Australian there's like group. One Asian in there. Yeah, it's just like held hostage the whole time with this yeah. like scared smile on her face. It's literally like she's under duress for the entire yeah. uh, you know duration of this um, Poor lady. This track, Kimberly Stapleton, is her name. The Asian lady. Yeah. She's an Indian-Australian lady. Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing she's a willful participant. But, yeah, it doesn't cover itself in much glory. No, it's just massively irritating um, and really strange. (laughs) (laughs) It's very surreal. It's very kind of like (laughs) trippy and kind of psychedelic. I don't think it was made with any kind of harm intended or any kind of offence intended. It's come from a place of ignorance and yeah i think um, that's what it is more than anything and, else um i think also slightly just kind of just wanting to inflict pain on us what with the with the irritatingness it, it kind of makes your brain bleed when you listen to it <laughs> it makes your brain bleed yeah this, i'm just in, well, it makes your ears bleed for sure this is all very horrific and stuff. In it. You know, we're painting very vivid imagery of the 
of the results <laughs> of listening to this terrible. track. Your eyes and ears and nose will just pour out in blood and you'll just have like some kind of... <laughs> it's just terrible. It's really terrible. But I've got a feeling that our bubs would love it if he heard it. This is a thing. This we is, were listening this is to the Halloween version of Baby Shark, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is just Baby Shark slowed down. Yeah. And made slightly spooky sounding. Yeah, they put some filters on the on the vocals and stuff to make it sound really like bassy. <laughs> he was just mesmerized by it. Yeah. Well, there's the thing. It it kind of appeals to his market more than anything else. Um, in terms of like how harmful it is, I don't think it's harmful. It is a bit ignorant. Um, it does have some cheap kind of, you know, plays on on racial stereotype. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're, and also we're, we're far more than the word papadom. Exactly, it is yeah, what it is. exactly. Um, but you know, the, the outcries of it were talking about representation, and this is not the representation we want, and it isn't obviously. Um, but I'd, I'd like to hope going forward that the Wiggles uh, would, you know, take in all the harsh criticism they've been receiving uh, over this one track to know better going forward. I mean, I wonder if they just do loads of songs about different places or different cultures just based on one food. So they're like falafel, 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 or like fish and chips, fish and chips. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do they do? do tequila, they... tequila, tequila, tequila. <laughs> yeah. And then just like, whatever massive sombrero on with like, this is the thing. These are all, if you do these things, they're all incredibly offensive <laughs> to the regions that they're to from. everyone. Oh, then that's okay. Just, then then they're, they're offending wow. everybody. This is a horror special, honestly. <laughs> Some of the words that are coming out of Joji B right now, she's been possessed by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. It's made my brain melt, so that's why. I'm and her not brain is anymore. melting as well, bruv. Don't don't tell don't tell us we don't bring you all the gruesome shit, right? All here. the pink goo. It's coming out my ear. Pink goo. The, my brain melting. My brain. Is it pink? Think so. Pink Pinkish. and grey. Pink and yeah. Grey matter. I nice, don't know. Nice color combo. Um. So you've been starting to read uh, one of the books we received this past week. I have. So I've been on a mission to stop watching so much TV and like and start trying to sort of improve myself in terms of my body yep. by exercising and eating right. And Good. now I'm trying to improve my mind again Good luck. Um, by reading. So I started off by reading trash, obviously, just Landed. to get me back into the habit. Um, and then now I have started reading. And I'm not even that far into it, but I can already say the bloody brilliant mm. Brown Baby awesome. by Nikesh Shukla. Excellent. I, in the, I'm not joking, in the first like four or five pages, I was like welling up with oh, reading it. Lord. And it's not it's not because it's a sad book. It's just, it's very, so far, it just seems to be like, it speaks to me on a level. And it's... I don't want to give anything away. It's just great so far. Awesome. Well, you know, you're only 20 pages or so into it. Yeah. You know, so there's a long way to go yet. Yes. So let's hope that the rest of the book uh, lives up to the hype of the opening few pages. Yeah. So I will give a full review once I've finished it. Um, and it's due out in February. So we've got a bit of time. Yes, exactly. Kind of get excited about it. Get your pre-orders in and all that. Exactly. Push it Push it from our end as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, something else that we're pushing currently is Melatopia happening yeah. on the 7th and 8th of November. We spoke about it last week. Uh, and next week, we're going to have a, a section of the show that's going to be focused primarily on what's happening on the weekend itself uh, with this virtual Mela, which I guess is, you know, one of the first of its kind uh, anywhere. Yeah. You know? Uh, but there's more acts that have been added to the roster. So we've got Juggy D, Woohoo! Southall's own, that will be performing. I used to be obsessed with Juggy D back in the day, by the way. Yeah, we could probably have a whole show yes. about your obsession with Juggy D. Yeah. Um, 
Punjabi Hit Squad, obviously. Shout out to the boys, Punjabi Hit Squad. <laughs> They're going to be performing or DJing and doing their thing. Um, shout out to PHS. They uh, gave us a lovely message of support for our 50th episode yes, back in episode 50 yeah. <laughs> of our show. So much respect to and them. Obviously, you know, I used to be one of their street team members. So I am yes. team PHS. You are indeed. Um, and also Punjabi MC. <laughs> PMC has also been added, exactly, has also been added to the bill. So loads of great acts that have already been announced and plenty more great acts to follow as well. So make sure you listen into next week's show to find out exactly who's going to be on and make sure you check it out when it's on the 7th and the 8th. It's going to be really fun. It is indeed. And speaking of great artists, we recently had Amit Janna on our show, episode 68, and we interviewed him about the great work that he's doing with the Rifko Theatre. But this past week, he's released a track alongside Rishi Rich and Kirani called Justice for Ricky Real. Mm. Now, Joji B, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this story and what the track entails? So Ricky Real was a 20-year-old student who in October 1997 disappeared after a night out with his friends. Mm. Um, they were on their way back and started being racially abused um, and ran off in different directions right. um, to escape these people that were abusing them. And he disappeared not long after that. Um, no one knows what happened, but a week later he was found in the River Thames. Mm, God. Um, initially at the time, the police said it was probably an accident. Right. Um, and at his inquest in 1999, there was an open verdict recorded. Um, there's been two police investigations and they've both failed to establish how he died. Um, and so his family have had no answers. Right. Again, they've been kind of, you know, from pushed from pillar to posts within the legal system and dealing with the police and they've just been fighting for justice to find out what happened yeah. to Ricky on that night and to be able to kind of finally get the justice that they need to the, allow themselves to grieve and move on. Yeah, it's a story I wasn't overly familiar with. Um, I guess in that time period growing up in the late 90s, um, you know, you'd be hearing about racial attacks and... Um, Stephen Lawrence case was the big one. Was the big one, time, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I guess um, that was taking up a lot of the, the media focus and attention. And maybe with this case, it was one of those ones where it kind of went under the radar um, outside of our own communities. There's a lot of similarities, though, to the, to the Stephen Lawrence case in terms of the police and, you know, just their incompetence at the time and yeah. not gathering evidence and all the things that, that happened in the Stephen Lawrence case, or many yeah. of them happened within this case too. Yeah. Um, and just like that, his parents are also fighting for justice all these years and still continuing to do so um, to this day. And I guess now with the help of Rishi Rich, Amit Janna and Kirani, um, who uh, contributed towards this track that's been out this week, Justice for Ricky Real. Um, will help to raise awareness uh, on, a, on a mass scale, especially amongst our own community. Um, the track itself has Amit doing a spoken word piece and, and Kirini providing some awesome vocals on a you know classic Rishi Rich style production. Yeah. Um, but the message of the track is the most important thing. You know, the, the family are looking for justice for Ricky Real and hopefully now with 
more attention raised and um, more awareness gained, we can start to find out exactly what happened um, and hopefully close a chapter for his family because, you know, they coming to terms with this is so difficult enough yeah. and, and to not have um, closure for this after so many years um, is, is heartbreaking. And so, um, you know, rest in peace to Ricky Real. And the track itself is out right now on YouTube and it's being shared across social media everywhere. So please, if you come across it, make sure you share it as well. Check out the track and learn a little bit more about Ricky Real. And let's all hope for justice going forward. Right. Well, that is it from the first half of the Native Immigrants Halloween special. When we're back on the other side, I will be joined by filmmaker and my brother, Ashish Gadvi, as we'll be discussing South Asian horror films of 2020. See you on the other side, people. back to the second half of the native immigrants i am swami barakas and once again when we've got a lovely guest on our show jojo b does a no show uh she can't be fucked to join in this half of the conversation because it is about halloween in our halloween special and this half of the show we're going to be talking about indian horror films now, well, I've seen some pretty horrific uh, films from Indian cinema over the course of my entire life. But uh, one thing that Indians and horror have in common, not just in the day-to-day -day society of Indian life, is they know how to put the chill in people. Um, and we're going to talk on this half of the show about the best or the worst horror films of 2020. 2020 has been a bit of a horrific year anyway. And so uh, what better to talk about on Halloween than Indian horror in 2020? And as I said, I'm joined by a very special guest. You may have heard him two years ago on our Halloween special discussing Hollywood films and how they are, in fact, quite closely linked to the Asian community. But he's back on here again, talking more horror with me here. His name is Ashish Gadvi. He's a filmmaker. He's a guy that I know very, very well because uh, we share the same parents. And he's here with me right now. Ashish Gadvi, welcome to the show. Hello, Swami Barakas, who, <laughs> who is my brother. Um, thank you for having me on the Native Immigrants podcast. No, we, uh, it's, uh, it's just the Native Immigrants now. The last time you were there, it was the Native Immigrants podcast. We've now evolved. So, um, you know, kindly just rephrase that so we can carry on with the show. Thank you for having me on the Native Immigrants podcast. Wait, wait, the Native Immigrants. That's good. Ah, that's better. Just how we rehearsed, bro. Just how we rehearsed. Yeah, so uh, we spoke a couple of years ago about horror films. And uh, when the opportunity came up with our Halloween special coming up this year, I realized that I could only really talk to one other person about horror films uh, because it seems that like no one else is into horror as much as the two of us amongst anyone I know. 
And um, when, but one thing I haven't really got too much of a grasp of knowledge on is Indian horror. Now, we spoke about that show a couple of, spoke on that show a couple of years ago about some of the older films like Papi Guria and Raz and Hiss and a few of those films. Um, but in the last few years, because of the rise of streaming platforms uh, like Netflix and Amazon Prime, etc., there's been a, a slew of newer Indian horror films from independent filmmakers as well um, that have got now a platform to get some of their films shown. Um, what has Indian horror been like in the last few years? Um, has there been any real uh, success or are we still looking at the same old crass? Well, the thing is, at the moment, I would say we're kind of living in a golden age of, of horror cinema in general, uh, thanks in large part to Ari Aster, who made Hereditary and Midsommar, mm. um, and has kind of given rise to this genre of horror movies that's like Oscar-worthy horror movies that are shot beautifully and acted beautifully and directed beautifully. And so, as you said, with the streaming platforms like Netflix and Amazon, um, having a lot more Indian horror appear on it all of a sudden. Um, I got my hopes up that maybe, you know, Indian horror has uh, evolved a little bit over the last few years. Um, some of them are decent. Some of them are hit and miss. Mm. Um, but yeah, for this show, I just thought let's, uh, let's do some, some ones from 2020, the year yeah. 2020, which we are currently in. We are currently in, yes, well observed. Um, it's, it's, it's also a year where a lot of people will be at home. Um, and I know during the whole lockdown period, a lot of people were trying to scram through as much as they possibly could through uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime, searching for content. Um, and so Indian horror films may just have gone under the radar for a lot of people. Um, but now that we're still here for another six months from home, uh, you know, people that are working from home can indeed switch on and check out some of these. Well, I say classic in inverted commas, but Indian horror films of 2020. And we're just basically going to rate them and review them. Uh, and it's going to be very, very spoilerific. So if you do happen to want to watch these films, I suggest don't listen to the podcast. But there's probably a good chance that you're probably never going to watch these films uh, because <laughs> some of them can be uh, more missed than hit. But it, it's going to be a time pass for you. So um, I would suggest that do check them out. And if anything, go against what we have to say and form your own opinion. Isn't it? That's absolutely correct. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, let's kick things off. In this episode, Halloween special of the Native Immigrants, with our very first selection from 2020. Now, when we were looking at Indian horror, we were trying to search through the films that are on there, and it's like there are countless movies. Um, but this one, our first selection, is actually a, a web series. Um, it's like a four-part, uh, uh, um, and it's called Betal. And it's um, based in a remote village that serves as a battleground between Officer Colonel John Lindosh, I think is how it was pronounced, of the East India Company and his battalion of zombie redcoats from the Indian Rebellion of 1857 and the fictional CIPD force. It was written and directed by Patrick Graham and co-directed by Nikhil Mahajan, produced by Bloomhouse Productions and Red Chili's Entertainment, so a big company there. And it stars Vineet Kumar Singh and Ahana Kumra. 
So it's out on Netflix. It's uh, one of the earlier films released this year. Um, so let's, let's kick things off, Ashish Gadvi. What are your initial thoughts of Betal? Well, one of the things that actually made me a little bit hopeful was when I was looking through the credits for this. Um, it's, it's obviously one of the producers is a guy called Jason. Now, I don't know whether it's Blum or Bloom, um, but obviously you've said Bloomhouse production, so let's go with I'm Bloom. assuming that's what it is. Um, all right, yeah, sure, let's go with that. But um, Bloomhouse Productions um, and Jason Bloom, obviously that's his company, are one of the premier production companies of horror movies at the moment. So they've produced things like Paranormal Activity, uh, Insidious, The Purge, wow. and most notably, um, Get Out is their film. No way. Um, so I, I was quite hopeful that, you know, and, and I think Jason Bloom's going to be a, a name we're going to hear again later on in the podcast, but I was quite hopeful when, um, when I saw that name on there. Um, yeah, this is pretty awful. <laughs> um, so it's four episodes long, mm. and, and there's, some, there's some sort of story in there, which, I mean, I didn't really follow. Right. Because I, when I pressed play on this, I wanted to see the Indian army shooting the shit out of ancient British army zombies. <laughs> um, and that was kind of all I wanted to see from this. But because it's four episodes, yeah. and each episode is like 45 minutes long, it's just got this story stretched out in it. And I'm all one for a good story, but this didn't really need it. Because yeah. all I really wanted from this was just ultra violence and gore and zombies and Indian soldiers. And... I just feel like there's too little of that and too much of the story. Yeah, I guess um, it, it could have been condensed into a, a one and a half, two hour film, um, I think is what uh, my take from it was. It, um, it over-elaborated, obviously, on certain sections of it. I can understand them trying to build um, a storyline so you almost have sometimes a, you know, an invested or an emotional connection to s- certain characters within it um, or there's um, a plot line that's a lot more complex and they're trying to get to the the bottom of how it all you know occurred but really you're, you're looking at um something that was elongated much longer than it possibly needed to be um especially because the plot line is it's it's fairly simple you know there's um you know they're trying to build new roads in this um this land um and and they have to, to get through it they have to um, blow through a tunnel, but inside this tunnel lurks this zombie army of British soldiers, and and then it's just a case of these soldiers um, picking off all the um, uh, the relevant parties that are still left there to to battle them. So it's nothing that we haven't, I guess, not seen before. Everyone's seen a good zombie film, um, and uh, and this potentially wasn't it. There was some re- there was some interesting aspects of it because you know to um, Indian army uh, sorry the british army uh in india was uh, a time period of like an immense atrocities and stuff so it's nice that they kind of owed it back to that time period uh, being the kind of the evil spirit that's still lurking amongst indian society even to this day um which i thought was really really interesting um but it was also like yeah, you know, we, we have we have like creepy jingles in the background of a lot of horror movies and stuff and in this one god save the queen is basically the <laughs> creepy jingle that they hear when the zombies are approaching which i thought was really novel 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I I do love um some of the some of the one-liners in this were uh, probably some of my favorite lines of 2020 so far. In a year of many favorite lines, um, when uh, I think one of the the CIPD uh, officers was like shooting away at the zombies, and he's saying, "This is for Jaliawala Bagh. This is for <laughs> Bhagat Singh." Um, <laughs> while he's gunning down a bunch of British zombie soldiers, and I think my my absolute favorite, which I shared on my social media um, just the other day was um, uh, the, the main guy, the main officer who's standing there with a cannon in front of him and uh, uh, a light as this massive swarm of British soldiers are trying to enter the room. And he's just like, time for a hard Brexit, motherfuckers, as he blows them all <laughs> down with this cannon. I mean, so in, in between, I, I, this is the thing. I think some parts of it, it wasn't taking itself too seriously, which is the reason why I probably can't give it as harsh a review as as many would I'd, I'd give it more of a mixed review because there were elements of it with with real tongue-in-cheek humor uh, and it just added to the kind of that sort of genre of horror film where there's like little kinks of like um you know cheeky humor basically dotted throughout and and to be completely fair to this as well i mean you know we've kind of obviously you know this isn't going to be the godfather and it's not going to change anyone's life but these these netflix shows they actually have a tremendous like production value to them Definitely. and this was like one of those shows that was actually quite slick in the way they were shot at times and for the bits i enjoyed the most which was basically the army fighting the zombies um it actually had like a really good, like almost Resident Evil type vibe about it, where yeah. it was almost like you were playing a computer game and going down these dark tunnels and having to shoot these zombies. And that was kind of what I, what I wanted more of, really. Um, which is why I think, as you said, if it was condensed down to a two-hour movie, um, then I think this would have been absolutely perfect. It's like a perfect pizza movie on a Friday night with your mates type of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't need any emotional connections for this, for this film. I don't need a four, four part emotional connection series. Uh, my, my emotional connection in this is to the bullets going through <laughs> zombie brains. That was what I wanted more of. What was, your, what was your take on some of the, uh, the prosthetics and makeup for some of the zombies that were on there? I mean, you know, like I said, the production value is slick at times, but probably not slick enough to get away hmm. with something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the yeah, the makeup and stuff on the zombies is not great. Um, you know, some of the special effects with the explosions and all of that type of stuff were were pretty good. The uh, yeah, the zombies not so much. So you know, I think with Indian horror and stuff like that, they're still trying to get to that point where you know, it's, it's fun to watch it, but they can still have the production values that are on par with other productions from like Europe and North America. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. I did like Vineet Kumar Singh, the, the main lead. I thought he, he performed quite well actually throughout um, yeah, as this kind good, of, yeah, yeah just um, conflicted, um, just always stressed out, obviously with the ongoing situation as well. Uh, and th- it did leave it on a little bit of a cliffhanger as well on the last episode. So do you think we could potentially see an, uh, you know, uh, an additional three or four parts? I mean, I think so. I think so. I think that's basically what that ending left it open for, is to continue this story should it, should it need to be continued at some point. Yeah, no. Well, hopefully we get a chance to see more of it because I feel with the, those four episodes is this kind of standalone story, but it, it could be something that could be developed 
um, going forward for a, for a much longer thing. It's yeah. So it's it's one of those films or series that I think had potential to have done a lot better. Um, but for what it's given us, I'd say two and a half, maybe three out of five. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's about right. That's about right. Probably yeah, two and two and a half is what I'd go for as well. Um, if the, like I said, if this was a two-hour movie, I think I'd be pushing for for like three, three point three and a half. So yeah, three three point seven five. But yeah, because it's such a long series and stuff. Um, it, yeah, it, it drags on a little bit. Yeah, the one last thing I would say about this show is that it does have some really badass female uh, soldiers in it as well. So that yeah, was something yeah, different that you see uh, that you don't usually see in an Indian show. No, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. At least that's one thing they kind of got right uh, in this film. Um, but yeah, Betal is out right now on Netflix. So if you want to have something against what we're saying and have your own opinion on it, make sure you do check it out and let us know your thoughts. Are we talking complete bollocks? Or was it, in fact, a complete dud? Let us know as we go move on to the next film in our Halloween special. Another Indian horror film that's been out in 2020. And you can also find on Netflix as well. Should be getting our own little uh, free subscription for the amount of publicity we're giving them. Um, but this one's called Ghost Stories. And it's actually a four short film segment. Um, and there's a number of really top-grade directors involved in this one. So there's one segment that's been directed by Karan Johar, one by Dibakar Banerjee, one by Zoya Akhtar, and one by Anurag Kashyap. So like four like A-list Bollywood directors involved in this film. And All stars, yeah. Yeah, it's immense when you look at the, the different people that are involved in it. Um, and it's got a massive cast involved. Janvi Kapoor's in, in the first film. And then you've got Raghavi Yadav and Sobita Dulipala, Vijay Varma, Avinash Tiwari. Um, so a lot of like, you know, real credible actors also involved in it. This was also released in the 1st of January. So it was one of the first films released this year. Ghost Stories. Ashish Gadvi. So, I mean, this is actually, like you said, it's an anthology movie. So it's got four short films in it. Like, right, so should, together, we, should, we go through, have... should we go through each one um, and then basically give our, give our take on, on each one of them? Because there could be a one or two that are better than the rest. Uh, meaning yeah, that... I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about like this, this kind of format, this anthology format, is that this is actually the third anthology film that these four directors have actually done together. So they've done two others before this. They've done Bombay Talkies and Lust Stories, um, oh, yeah, which I, I believe are both, are both on Netflix, actually. So people can check those out. But um, the, the interesting thing about it is that with these anthology movies, these directors are actually given the chance to do something a little bit different from what mm. they usually do. Yeah. Um, so you actually see a lot of them flexing their, their flair a little bit for their storytelling, which obviously you don't see a lot of the time in their Bollywood production. But yeah, like I said, let's let's go through film by film, and we can we can dot the i's and cross the t's on these. Dissect them, indeed. Well, the first one is actually directed by Zoya Akhtar. Uh, th- this is interesting. The one thing I, I found about this film: none of the four stories actually have names. They're all uh, depicted by the person directing it, so it's completely open on exactly what the stories themselves are called. Um, but it's uh, it stars Janvi Kapoor daughter of the late great Sri Devi 
And she plays a young nurse that's taking care of an old a lady called Mrs. Mullick in this like, you know, small desolate house. And um, there's, yeah, it's, I think it, the story basically almost revolves around there potentially being a, another spirit living within the midst of this house. And it's her basically trying to evade that while also looking after this old lady. And yeah, it's, um, it, the, 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 I guess the, the crux of the story is not everything appears what it seems within this house. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, to cut straight to the chase, I really liked this one. I, I really, really liked it. Obviously, like I said, it's got Janvi Kapoor in it, who is Sri Devi's daughter. And she just has that star quality. And so when you kind of just see her on screen, obviously acting in this horror capacity, it's actually a little bit jarring in the first instance because you're just so used to seeing these guys acting, you know, doing the Bollywood dance routines and, the, you know, changing of the clothes and looking glamorous. Mm-hmm. But when you actually see her in this and looking, you know, like a proper horror actress, you're kind of thinking like, wow, these guys are actually like testing their limits here. And like, we're seeing them in different capacities. Yeah. But I thought it was, it was tense. It was shot really well. I mean, I, I really like Zoya Akhtar's films anyway. Um, but, but this really shows that she's got a flair for horror as well. And she is a real cinephile and knows her cinema and knows her cinema history and her international movies and stuff. And, you could you could argue that this is um, highly influenced by Japanese horror movies. I'd say even the, the whole idea of uh, being the care worker and looking after this woman is kind of reminiscent of the first chapter in the Grudge, the original Japanese Grudge movie. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, the story is is nothing like it anyway. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. The ending didn't make sense to me. I've got to be honest. I couldn't really grasp what the ending yeah, was all about. Yeah, same, same. And I think it's it's one thing that's apparent in in all the films, almost in this um, particular film, uh, is that they're all slightly strange in terms of how they end, and it you almost have to make up your own story in your own mind of exactly what happened and how these events took place. Um, you know, one of, there's a couple of them are fairly obvious, but this one in particular, you were like, um, did, did that really happen? Is that all in her mind? Or what exactly was she seeing the whole time? Uh, you know, I don't want to spoil it too much because I think this is a film that I would really encourage people to, to watch um, each of these four films uh, within it to, to, to generate their own thoughts and views on it because they, they are very ambiguous. Um, but they are really, really well shot and really, really well made. And, I, and I, I'm the same. I, I like this first one um, by Zoya. I, I think she directed it very, very well. I've, I've seen a lot of her kind of the bigger Bollywood films that she's done. And they're obviously very over the top and flamboyant. And it's all about the glamorous aspect of, of the industry. Whereas I think with, with films like this and with, um, you know, the, uh, uh, Bombay Talkies, et cetera, there's, a, there's an element of... of directing it as an almost an independent filmmaker would and i think each of these four um, directors have approached it in exactly the same way um which gives a real it gives a a depth to their own um directing capabilities that i didn't really uh, see before and it's given me a lot of respect for the way they craft their stories as well at the same time well this is like what i really like about these anthology movies to be honest is that you you just see these guys in a completely different capacity to what we were used to seeing them and you actually realize that you know we watch a lot of their films Garan Johar and Zoya Akhtar and Anurag Kashyap and they're doing these really big bollywood movies and stuff but 
Um, you know, I suppose Anurag Kashyap kind of does a little bit more like independent movies, but for the for the out and out Bollywood ones out of out of these guys, you actually kind of think like, oh, maybe like they do actually have the chops to be able to tell different kinds of stories, but within the industries that they're working in, they just have to stay very restricted in those money making machines that they're part of. But you know, yeah, maybe they do actually, you know, they can actually stand alongside some of the great uh, directors of the world, but just don't really get the chance to show their skills. So that's why I really like these shorts. Yeah. And plus, I think being on Netflix really, really helps um, because um, as much as they are, um, you know, big names and big characters, big directors, it, it gives a little less pressure almost than to, you know, adhere to the, the formulaic Bollywood films that are, are made for the big box offices. Um, in India, obviously this year there there is no box offices as such, um, you know. So there's there's less and less throughput of those bigger films. So more and more people are watching these things on Netflix, and I guess with the amount of great independent cinema that's already on there, they can easily kind of nuzzle their way in between the the slew of films that are currently out there and stuff, and get a chance to flex flex their um, their abilities on them. So yeah, I'm very much enjoyed that first story. Ending was a little bit ambiguous. Um, but the next one... I, I don't mind that, though. I don't mind that. I can, I can forgive that. It was such an enjoyable film up until that point that I can forgive the ambiguous ending. Yeah, no, indeed. Exactly. It's open to all interpretations. Um, another one that's kind of open to interpretations um, was the second story that was directed by Anurag Kashyap. Now, this is actually set in Britain, in 90s Britain. And it's not, and apparently it wasn't even that far away from us. Apparently it's supposed to be set in Southall of all places. So we might have even been around during this time period when this was happening. Ashish Gadvi. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I read as well that it was supposed to be set in 90s Britain. I didn't pick that up from actually watching the film, I must admit. Yeah, no, of course. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't see it as 90s. I could see it as definitely being in Britain because it was, it was a British house and the British cars and there was obviously British hospitals, etc. Um, but you know, I, you can't differentiate too much on whatever was happening in the mid nineties to now, because not a great deal has changed apart from mobile phones and the internet. Um, but the story itself, um, is about a, a pregnant lady called Neha who babysits her late sister's child, Anch, and the, obsessive affections of this child um, to this lady and the, the paranoia of a childless young woman, um, you know, as well at the same time. And then parts of her past come to come back at her in terms of something that happened that could have potentially cursed her going forward. Um, and you're never quite sure whether some of the, the uh, mysterious macabre elements of her life are to do with this young boy as well at the same time. Um, that's, you know, as vague as I can possibly be on this particular story. But what were your thoughts on this one directed by Anurag Kashyap? Um, when it started, and it seemed like it was in black and white, and it was shot in like this kind of avant-garde type way. Yeah, it was um, desaturated and monochromatic. Yeah, it was, de- yeah, it was desaturated and monochromatic. And then like, you know, when I was looking at the at the colors and stuff, I was like, oh, good. This is like, you know, going to be an art house horror movie almost. Hmm. Um, I was with it for the first few minutes or so. First 30 and seconds. First 30 seconds, I was with it. And then it just lost the plot. Hmm. I just, I, it just tried too much. It tried to incorporate too much different ideas in it. 
when it was kind of about the demonic child and stuff like that, I kind of thought, you know, okay, I, I, I'm on board with this. But afterwards, mm. when it started getting into more about um, her and more about like her child and then this weird transformation that she goes through later on Jeez. i kind of yeah i i checked out by that point i was like this is really odd yeah I, I, you know because it did for a little while um you know have have echoes of like you know like we've seen films before about demonic child and demonic children you know like the like omen or orphan and these kind of films um and so we, I was looking in that potential aspect, and there's loads of like Korean and Japanese films. Um, there's something about like a this, a small young boy, um, and and um, how horrific um, just the simplicity of a small young child can be on 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 a family's life, um, and so there was aspects of that. Um, happening within this short, and I kind of thought, okay, that's where that's a direction. Basically, they're starting to move in, but uh, halfway through, it seemed to just hit this fork in the road and go in two completely direct, different directions. And then you're like, how did these two things even connect by the end of it? Because they, they completely didn't. But whereas you kind of think one couldn't have worked without the other. So how, how did it all fit? To, it, yeah, it, it, I think it was, try, like you said, it was trying to be more than it actually was and trying to fit as much as it possibly could be within a very short space of time. Whereas it started on offered a really really nice pace, but then it, it it just quickened up in a very complicated way that it became almost like a spaghetti junction at the end, trying to work out where it's actually going. And then by the end of it, with the amount of um, prosthetics, I won't put it too much out there in terms of like where it's actually going. Um, it just yeah, it 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 kind of fell a little bit flat to be honest. Yeah, it, it fell really flat for me as well. And I was quite disappointed by it because, like I said, when it started, I was completely with it and I was enjoying it. And then by the end of it, as you say, there's, um, there's all this stuff with prosthetics and the transformation that she goes through um, and the theme of birds, let's just say. <laughs> and it just, like, it just falls apart, I think. Yeah, um, but shout to Sobita Dulipala because I thought she was really good for most of it. Um, up up until the end where it kind of went a bit crazy. Um, but that sort of feeling of a, like a distressed uh, pregnant lady that's, you know, feels that something's not quite right in her life um, because you have like this, this husband who's there, but not really there. Um, and she really finds solace in her, you know, in her nephew and stuff that she looks after. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it, I, I thought she came across really, really well in it. Um, no. Yeah, just a note on her as well, Sabitha Dulipala, is that she also appeared in Raman Raghav 2.0, which is another Anurag Kashyap film, which is occasionally on and off Netflix, um, which is another very good film that people should check out. But uh, yeah, she's obviously worked with the director before. Okay, well, there you go. Nice little tie in there. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's one that started off very, very well, um, didn't end so well. And yeah, I, I feel like... Another another one which lost some potential on what it potentially could have been, um, but the next one on this list, which is probably the the strangest and out of out of the four, uh, and that's saying something when we when we discussed this the previous one, um, is one directed by Dibakar Banerjee, and um, how can I put this together? Right, so it's about a man who arrives in a, a, a small town that's completely deserted. 
barring two young children. And the, uh, all is not what it seems because these children say that everyone they know has been eaten um, by um, something or someone. And this guy is obviously very skeptical and dubious about this. But then all hell breaks loose uh, in this town. And it's a case of trying to survive through the night um, and during the day as well with uh, some of the things that are happening and some of the creatures that lie in the midst. Um, bizarre? Okay, look, so here's, here's my thoughts on this. Um, I haven't seen Lust Stories, but I've seen Bombay Talkies, um, which again is uh, an anthology by all of these directors. And in Bombay Talkies, Dibaka Banerjee does the best film, I think, in that, in that anthology in Bombay Talkies. Hmm. So I was really hoping that Dibakar Banerjee would also do the best one in this film. And you know what? I think he pulled it off. Really? I think, wow. I think he pulled it off. I think this, this was my favorite one, I think, out of all of the four. I, I really enjoyed Zoya Akhtar's, but the one thing that I really liked about this is that Dibakar Banerjee is a very, very clever filmmaker who throws in social commentaries mm, into yeah, films that yeah. doesn't they, that it would seem like there's nothing here to actually have a social commentary about and once again exactly like his short from bombay talkies i think that within this he's actually fit in a social commentary about the social dynamics of the rich and poor in india mm. and how the rich essentially are feeding off the poor and he's taken that concept and turned it into a horror movie, essentially. Interesting. And Interesting. It's, it's in my, from my point of view, is a, a horror that continues even after the horror has ended, which will make sense to people once they actually watch this short. But in terms of the actual horror moments of it, I was completely convinced by the monsters. I was completely convinced by the threat. Um, it contains a really harrowing, shocking moment that I did not expect involving a child yes. in this. Yes, Which <laughs> completely threw me because I did not think that they were going to take it in that direction. And all in all, I thought it was a gutsy film. I thought it was a brave film. Maybe not quite as slick as Zoya Akhtar's opening one, mm, but... Mm. I really enjoyed this. And it was the one film out of this that I actually watched again once it had finished. Oh, well, okay. No, well, yeah, I, I had a completely different take on it. Now hearing everything that you've said regarding uh, the, the hidden underlayer on this and the meaning of it, it kind of does absolutely make sense. Um, it, that scene, uh, which you mentioned just there involving a, a young child was, um, yeah, it was, it was shocking uh, because it comes out of nowhere, literally almost in the aspect of that film in that it happens within the, the blink of an eye and it's um it's and it, it does kind of stay with you a little bit as well at the same time um because it's quite tragic as well which it makes is it very even tragic. worse yeah 100 percent wholeheartedly and um and it's yeah it really puts um a, as a from a parental perspective it really um hits home a lot a lot harder sometimes when you see these kind of things um but um but seeing it play out like that especially in that film especially in the context of that scene itself um yeah was was quite quite brave um 
but it's it's a film it's it's a short i think that also um it does it does say a lot about the the different class systems um involved um in india and stuff and i guess what he's trying to say is the 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 bigger picture and the bigger horror is still happening right now in indian society and um and he and he used this almost in a in a clever way to to outplay that and it, as he's done in in many of his previous films um involving social commentary um in a lot of his projects um and so this is almost like a clever way of of um you know of putting that together but it's you know it's it's how much of it was is again to in we talk about the ending itself how much of it was almost in his mind or was this something that was um happening almost in a like an outwardly kind of um you know view um or was this something that that could have been potentially something different i'm not too sure yeah yeah i mean that that obviously again kind of leaves it open to interpretation and stuff which i think is probably the right way to go with a story like this um but stylistically i think this also owes a lot to the zombie genre and in particular the one thing that i kept thinking of while watching it is the tv show the walking dead mm, which yeah, it definitely. reminded me of uh, quite a bit so yeah all in all i'd give this uh, two thumbs up well done look at this well the best one so far according to Ashish Gadvi I'm still uh, you know a pension for Zoe Akhtar's uh, opener um, but the last film on here uh, is directed by none other than Karan Johar himself uh, and it's um, another really interesting story uh, and it's about a, a girl called Ira and she has agreed to uh, marry uh, a wealthy lad called Dhruv, um, who lives in a, a great big house with his parents and his inverted commas grandmother. And all is not what it seems when she marries this gentleman, because he seems to have a very close knit relationship with his grandmother that may or may not still be alive. Um, yeah. So I was out of all the four of these, I think this one almost again could have been something a lot bigger and better but it's it's very sinister from the offset and it's shot awesomely as it would be obviously from a Karan Johar project what were your thoughts on this Ashish? So uh, once again going back to Bombay Talkies Karan Johar's film in Bombay Talkies is is very very good and again when watching that the first time on the Bombay Talkies shot again I thought to myself oh my god like I cannot believe this is a Karan Johar film. This is a side of Karan Johar that we literally have never seen before. He's tackling hard issues. He's uh, letting the actors kind of be a lot more realistic. Again, it was almost like Karan Johar just doing an independent short. Mm. Now, with this one, I was hoping for a little bit more of, of that side of Karan Johar's filmmaking. Yeah. And to be honest, we got some real flair with the camera work and with the cinematography on this. Yeah. And a lot of flair when it comes to the, the horror side of it as well. There's, there's a sequence basically in the middle of it where the girl is just walking around the house and it's shot entirely in one continuous take, just mm. following her around the house. And it's actually terrifying, that whole part. Um, having said that, this film has a lot more Karan Johar in it than it should have had. So <laughs> it's got, uh, you know, it's got glamorous a big wedding outfits. scene in it. Yeah. <laughs> glamorous outfits. Everyone looks like a million bucks. Beautiful like, couple. 
Yeah, like, you know, the, the girl will be like, you know, sitting there just having dinner with her husband with like some raunchy lingerie on, like full just makeup. sat at a table, full makeup and all of that type of thing. Um, and the most cringe dialogue you will ever hear in any movie ever. Garan Johar's way of basically making people modern and edgy is just to have them swear a lot. Yes. And in this film in particular, the word blowjob gets repeated yeah. like four or five times. Because like to Karan yeah. Johar, like that's the way you make a character really edgy. Yeah. You just have them say stupid shit like that. Yeah. And it was just by, by the time it got to that point, I just, I kind of clocked out already. And I was just like, no, no, this is way too much. This is way more Karan Johar than I want. Yeah, yeah. It was also a film that, it, it, there was a little bit of predictability as well, I felt, with this film in comparison to the previous three. Uh, you can almost see which direction it was almost going in as well. Um, because, you know, the one kind of sceptical person in this, uh, you know, was, was a lead girl, Ira. Um, and whereas everyone else seemed to be on board with this one idea, almost, almost in a kind of get out style of scenario of the, the outsider coming into the house and all the rest of them uh, have, a, have a set a mindset basically and when someone wavers from that then um you know then then doom is going to obviously ended up taking place um so yeah it's kind of it did reflect that a little bit uh, from my perspective when watching it um yeah i, th- I feel with garden joher garden joher will always put his imprint on anything he does um and so it was one of the more kind of glamorous looking um horror films uh, horror segments i guess um, from this film, um, what do you think of some of the performances in it? Um, I, I mean, again, because it's a Garen Johar film, and because the dialogue was so cringe, I just like I thought everybody in it was just a little bit cardboardy. Um, I think that the main girl's really good. I, uh, her name escapes me you know, for the for the time being, but um, she's pretty good. Um, yeah, she's a. Uh, she obviously, like I said, she has that sequence in the middle of the film where she's walking around the house looking pretty terrified. And looking terrified is not always the easiest thing to do. On, Runo on Thakur is her name. Yes, she, she is very good. Um, that's about it, I would say. But then again, <laughs> like, I think because it's a Garan Jorah film, everybody in it is hamming up their horror. This isn't mm. like subtle horror. This is like as hammy as you can possibly get. So... Um, yeah, this is a very, definitely a very glamorous horror film, which is not uh, two words that I ever want to be together when it comes to describing the film. No, absolutely. Um, I think when we look overall on ghost stories, like even with those four parts and, and um, all the different stories that take place and the, and the moments that take place also obviously within them, none of them are really very scary. Um, there's no like real massive jump out scary moments there's a lot of tense elements to it um but it's it's i think when the moments that it tries to be a little bit more horrifying or spine tingling uh, in it i think i feel they sometimes fall a little bit flat for me yeah none none of these are very sweet. actually to be fair i think zoya Agdes is quite scary um just in terms of like 
the you know just like the framing and the, the things walking work. you know yeah the camera work and things walking in and out of frame and stuff i thought you know that stuff was actually quite scary um but yeah the rest of them a lot of them are quite gruesome I think, you know, some of them have have a fair bit of blood and guts and gore and stuff like that in it. A couple of them um, do, yeah. Yeah, the, the Dibbuga Banerjee one has that big jump scare moment involving mm. the child, which did literally make me jump. Mm. Um, and uh, the only thing scary about Garan Johar's one was probably how big his budget was compared to the others. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was indeed. So w- what would you go as far to rate this? I'd... Uh, again, I'd probably look at a, 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 a solid three out of five. I think it it could have been higher because of, um, but because it was let down by maybe a couple of them, which I didn't were a little bit under par for me. But it could have been lower um, if not brought up by some of the the great directing work of Zoya Akhtar in particular in the first one for sure. Yeah, I think I think three stars, a solid three stars, is probably as as far as this should go, just because it has two very good shorts in it and two quite naff shorts in it. So I think three stars, a solid three is probably, probably what it deserves. Yeah. Evens itself out. Um, now our last selection today is actually one of the more recent films that have come out, uh, on Amazon prime actually. And it's actually an American horror film based around our community. And it's called evil eye. It stars Sarita Chaudhary, who uh, people may know from Kama Sutra or Mississippi Masala, Wild West, a number of films uh, in the 90s. Um, uh, it also stars Sunita Mani from Glow, one of my favorite series that have come out in recent years. And it's again produced by Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse Productions. And also, lo and behold, Priyanka Chopra serves as executive producer as well um now the premise of this is guy meets a girl uh the mother disapproves of the guy for very um interesting and supernatural reasons and um it's how their story all comes by um paranoid mother disapproving mother um and guy and girl falling in love uh something we haven't seen enough of i'd say in indian cinema not um but there's a lot of underlying um you know mysteria involving this guy and his potential connections to this mother maybe even in a previous life ashish gadvi what were your thoughts on evil eye good lord so this is directed by Ilan and Rajiv Dastani, who are actually twins, um, who I'd never actually heard of before this. Mm. Um, it was written by Madhuri Shekhar and, and based on her own audible audio book, um, which is what the original uh, script is actually based on. And that uh, audio book, which I've, I've heard is very good, um, takes place entirely on phone calls and answer machines. Um, And you realize that a lot of the time the characters are spending uh, time talking to each other on the phone in this movie. So it's by design. And this film came with a lot of buzz to it, actually, Mm. which is kind of one of the main reasons why I said we should review it. Because like you said, it's it's a Bloomhouse film. So going back to Jason Bloom, it had his name attached to it. Had Priyanka Chopra, like you just said, and Sarita Chaudhary, who we hadn't seen in a while. And obviously... She's in Mississippi Masala, which is like one of the one of the all time great 
um, Indian diaspora movies, I suppose. And mm. obviously, like we said, it's dealing with Indians living in America. So it's dealing with, you know, the diaspora, which none of the other films did. They were all made by Indians for Indians about India. Yep. Um, this is one of the most monumentally shit films I've ever seen. <laughs> it's and that's how you really so feel. bad. <laughs> like, uh, all right, so I made, I made a note. I've made some notes of the cliches that yeah. appear in this film. So straight off the bat, the first thing you see, monkeys. Monkeys <laughs> are the first thing you see because if it's an Indian film, yeah. they must involve monkeys. Then there's an arranged marriage yep. straight off the bat again. Then we have a nagging mother obsessed with child getting married and compares her child to other people. Yep. Then you have a wedding. Mm-hmm. And then you have just as the parents are chilling in the house, them watching a Bollywood movie. Yep. So, you know, straight away, I was getting a little bit itchy about it. And then I did the one thing which I hate doing, which was I needed to just quickly Google this film while I was watching it. <laughs> and, and, and I read the blurb. A superstitious mother is convinced that her daughter's new boyfriend is the reincarnation of a man who tried to kill her 30 years ago. And I thought, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What have I got myself into? I mean, when it um, comes to like reasons to uh, you know, disapprove of your daughter's choice, um, that, that's definitely uh, up there as one of the most creative, I'd say. It, it, it is. It is. However, look. I don't want to be unkind to this film because obviously I know how hard it is to make one of these things. Yeah. So there are representation some is key. Representation is key, right? <laughs> um, there are some truths about the Asian community that yeah. this film displays, and I've also made a note of those. So one of the major truths of this is that the mother nags her child to get married to the point where it's making her child unhappy. It's making her daughter like actually unhappy how much she's being nagged. Mm. Then she finds a boy and then the mother is incredibly unhappy about the marriage. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. uh, it, was, it, so, it wasn't her choice, was it? She did her own no. love marriage and obviously that doesn't go down too well. And dare I say, I know many people who are like that in real life. No. Um, yeah, I know. Shock, right? One of the other things, the truths in it, is that it has a pundit, a Hindu priest, trying to fleece the living shit out of this woman <laughs> yeah. who has all of these superstitions and is scared about all of these things, which, you know, again, that is 100% entirely accurate representation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, totally. Um, we also have the mother hiring a private detective yep. to investigate her daughter's boyfriend, which, look, if you're an Asian guy out there and you haven't had a private detective investigate you by your girlfriend's mother, then quite frankly, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> um, and then the very last truth of this is the incredibly toxic emotional blackmail that goes on in this film (laughs) which is that's the true horror of this film (laughs) that is literally the true horror of this film to the point where i hated this mother character so much that by the end i just wanted her to be mental and to be thrown into an asylum 
just because it was so patently obvious that she was ruining her daughter and her husband's life. Um, but that did not happen. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was this film. I, I thought it was directed badly. I thought it was acted badly. I thought it was written badly. I thought it was terrible. However, uh, however, not as more. However, there is more. Towards the end of this film, when the uh, finale happens, like the final third of the film, where you're going to get, you know, the big act, mm. I had grown so delirious of the fact that I had wasted my time watching this movie that I actually found myself going with it. The finale was happening and I was just, I was going with it. I was like, I'm with you now, evil eye. Take me where you want to take me. I was like, just, just go there. Go where you want to go. I'm with you. I'm completely with you. And um, the ending was utterly ridiculous. Yep. But I basked in the glory of every single ridiculous choice that the finale of this film had to make. Yep. And, and I actually realized one thing about this movie that I would give this one. We haven't gone to star ratings yet. God forbid. But I would give it one star, right? That, that would be my, my choice of this film. Mm-hmm. However, if you are drunk or if you're high off your face on mushrooms or weed or whatever your thing of choice is to get high or off, both. or both, or just like me and went delirious because you realized you'd <laughs> spent your evening. It's a different kind of high. <laughs> Then, I'm sorry, but this film is a five-star classic. Wow. Like, if wow. you're in that mode where you are willing to just go with this film, then it's a lot of fun because it's so ridiculous. Um, to the point where I've actually written down quotes, which are some of my favorite quotes from this film. Oh, wow. So, we have, those Patel types are very rich, which was a very, like, one of my favorite lines from this film. Um, Here's a line that the husband says uh, to the mother. Now that there's nothing to worry about, you have to invent something to worry about. No true how many has times, been said. How many times has anyone ever said that to an Indian mother? Those exact same words. It's like they reached into my soul and put it onto screen. Um, we also have a line from the daughter to the mother. Do you know how big of a failure you make me feel like every single day? Wow. Wow. Which, I'm sorry, right? Like, that is Shakespearean levels of Indian domestic drama there. And then my own personal favorite line from this film, which is up there with the Brexit line, I think, from Betal. Um, Never trust a white guy with a pressure cooker. <laughs> which is one like... <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought oh, was just days. absolutely like, gold. you know, gold. I mean, in and amongst all of this madness, you might as well stick it to the white man while you can. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was, that was evil eye. That was evil eye. What were your thoughts? Well, you, I, I don't know what more there is to, much more there is to say. It was, that was so expertly summed up. I, the, my overriding sensation of watching this was, it wasn't even that far along since I watched Indian Matchmaking also on Netflix, and the, which was also very horrifying in a very, very different way. And the, the similarities in terms of the dynamic involved with, with both of these films happening so 
you know, closely together, I thought was was particularly fascinating. Um, it was a production because we're talking about representation a lot on our show, um, and you know how we crave to see more films um, involving the the South Asian community on on both sides of the pond. And Evil Eye kind of did immediately tick those boxes because we we constantly ask about new stories and 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 things outside of the box. And so, what more than a great horror film involving the South Asian community made by you know a big budget production in the states? And it was pretty awful. Um, there was the worst part of it was up until the last say five minutes of the film. I couldn't really see where and how this was even classified as a horror film. It, there was, it was not even tense is even a mild word. It was like the kind of the, the midday um, lifetime movies that our mum watches um, when it comes to the, um, the, the, the horrific nature of some of the events that took place within it. Um, it's barely a thriller, um, but, if if anything, it it gives an outside perspective um, from people outside of com- our community. What actually goes down um, in, in terms of like um, marriage and the pressures of getting married and uh, being introduced and all that. And so um, it'll definitely dissuade anyone from wanting to marry within our community anyway. And so this yes, is we're almost- all batshit crazy, is what this film should <laughs> actually teach you. Yeah, it is pretty much the last nail. Uh, on this coffin um, that's obviously going straight in for cremation because that's what we do. Um, yeah, Evil Eye was was out of the three films the the absolute pits, um, and it's it's a it's another great shame because um, it you know with with all the different elements that it had um, you know involved in it with Jason Bloom and Priyanka Chopra, Sweeta Chaudhary, and you know this, and it was the fact that they it's been pushed as well and and marketed really well on Netflix um, at the same time. Um, it was yeah a, a pretty massive letdown, and the the stereotypes were all smacked uh, um, in every other minute of the whole film, um, and yeah, it wasn't acted great. Um, uh, again, a shame because of the people that were involved, um, but it is almost so bad it's not so bad. I can't even say the word good. It's 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 you just got to like play on it on a tongue-in-cheek way which i don't think it intended to do when creating this piece um but it it has it's come across as quite laughable at times um and so if anything watch it for some time pass more than anything else yeah i mean this this is easily the worst film of all all three time that we watched yeah (laughs) time. yeah (laughs) um i mean and and that includes uh uh, you know a, a short film uh a short horror film directed by Gurren Jorho in which characters say blowjob a lot yeah. and uh, a film in which uh, the the evil entity you're trying to kill are singing God Save the Queen at you. So, yeah. um, that you know, imagine the territory that that covers, just saying that how bad this film actually is. However, like you said, um, if you watch it with the right mindset, you might be able to actually have a real laugh watching this. I think what they tried to do is to go for an Asian fatal attraction, essentially, is what they tried to do. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this film is more fatal than, than even fatal attraction. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it does actually make you question um, representation. 
and make you think maybe not all representation is good representation. No. Um, you can actually have projects made by Asians that are really terrible. I mean, it's basically the film equivalent of saying we want to see more prominent British Asians in society and then them giving you Preeti Patel. So, <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that, it's that type of horror show. Um, so, yeah, the, that, that is Evil Eye and mm. I will never forget it. No, it, it is truly unforgettable for, for all the wrong reasons. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to give this a, a one star. What, one and a half. Um, only because there are parts of it which are so bad if they're quite funny. Um, so there is mild levels of amusement within it. Um, the whole sequence in the kitchen is, will, will leave you like belting out with laughter um, at various different slow motion parts of it. Um, so I'd say one and a half without being too harsh. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go one and a half as well, just because they do have that line about never trusting a white guy with a pressure cooker <laughs> at the end of it. So I'll, I'll go with one and a half. Yeah, why not? Right. So, okay. So we've we looked at three films uh, from 2020. Why is it that Indian cinema can't quite get horror right at the moment? Well, they need to first have have a, an audience who is craving horror. And I'm not sure whether horror always hits the right spot with, uh, with Asian audiences. Um, me and you are obviously massive horror fans. Um, yeah. I, don't, I must admit, I don't know many other British Asians who are much into horror. Um, so, I mean, first they need to, we need to develop a culture of, of horror movies because Lord knows we've got a culture of ghost stories and a culture of, you know, tales of the, of the Asian occult in our, in our communities. And stuff. Yeah. So we need to first be able to cultivate that and put that on screen properly. Um, and as time goes by, hopefully we will have our own Hereditary or Midsummer or The Witch or, you know, a movie like that. I hope. Yeah, it's, it's just, for me, I find it very, very frustrating because these are all genres um, of cinema that Southeast Asia get absolutely spot on in fact like yeah not that four, not that far away from us yeah. that's what i'm saying you know so asian cinema when it comes to horror as a whole is like at the forefront of innovative new wave um cinematic um you know masterpieces when it comes to horror and it's just something that i just don't feel our uh our, our the, the countries uh, of the subcontinent um have ever really got it right um it was always uh, something that was cheap budget and kind of made in that way in the 80s and the 90s um i suppose much like most of the rest of the cinema in india but um it hasn't really fully developed in the same way that i would have kind of hoped it would have especially now because there are some great independent indian films that are you know as equally comparable as anything that's happening in southeast asia and in american british cinema um, with some real, you know, great, interesting stories. Um, but like you said, with the, the history that our communities have always had with, you know, the, 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 the amount of different superstitions and, um, you know, tales of kind of like demonic um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, experiences from people over generations here in this country, not in this country, but in India, Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Nepal, Bangladesh, that you would have hoped that we would have kind of now seen so much more of that resonating uh, amongst filmmakers in India, especially now with, you know, more 
audiences of our ages, you know, opening themselves up to multiplexes and, um, you know, and want and craving something a little bit more different. Um, but horror is just that one thing that never has never quite translated in the same way as everything else in pop culture in India at the moment. Well, and also in, in India in particular, and the, you know, the other countries of, uh, of South Asia, um, Bollywood has been such a huge success down there because not, not just because it has a long history, but because there's always been a desire to have a genre of cinema that um, basically is like escapism for the masses. Yeah. So I don't think horror is a genre which is, you know, lends itself very well to escapism. You know, in particular, if your life is more horrific than what you're actually seeing on screen. That's true, yeah. Um, you know, the you're not really going to want to... place outside your window um, on a day-to-day well, basis exactly, than you do on your screen. Exactly, Yeah, I mean, like, if you've got, you know, a mother-in-law who's genuinely trying to kill you, um, then, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't want to watch a film in which, you know, a mother-in-law is trying to kill uh, another person. So, um, you know, it's just that the, the, India has never really had a, a history for horror films as such it's got a history of obviously like you said ghost stories and superstitions and stuff like that yeah but it might just take a little bit longer for uh you know for the country to develop its uh, its cinema techniques and be able to you know now that they've got the streaming platforms as we're seeing now yeah. on netflix more and more indian horror movies are starting to pop up so as time goes by like i said maybe we will have our own uh, midsummer or hereditary yeah no absolutely and i think i think the one I guess overriding plus out of all of those three films, um, uh, you know, obviously there's um, a lot that we've criticized, obviously, with uh, the productions themselves. But I think one of the things that all three films did get absolutely right was having strong female characters as the main leads in pretty much um, all three films. Um, you know, in, in Betal, obviously, we have a number of the offices. Um, and um, ghost stories, I think three, almost two or three of the stories had strong female characters as the main lead and, and the same as, as Evil Eye. And so we are seeing that kind of transition a lot better now um, with Indian cinema than we have done um, in the previous past, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is a big positive to take away from it as well, is that um, it's not just about, you know, the talent that you kind of see in front of the screen as well, but it's also how they're being represented and stuff. So that's, uh, that's definitely a big positive to take away from all of these. Wholeheartedly agree. Well, those were our reviews of Indian horror films of 2020. They're all available right now on streaming platforms, Netflix and Amazon Prime. So please do make sure you check them out and then let us know your thoughts um, with our ratings. Do you actually end up enjoying any of these films? Um, do let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, tweet us on at Native Immigrant Single M uh, and at the Native Immigrants Podcast on Instagram and let us know your thoughts. Ashish Gandhi, um, I'd be hastened to let you leave without talking about your independent film itself that's currently out there right now on the festival circuit which we plugged on this show you're welcome let us uh, tell us a little bit more about what this film is and what it's about sure well it's about a superstitious mother who's convinced that her daughter's new boyfriend is the reincarnation of a man who tried original to kill her. No, I'm original um so uh yeah it is uh, entitled mountain of light and thank you very much for the shout out on your podcast and uh, it is a if short film, which is a heist movie about uh, the Kohinoor diamond, which mm. is a subject which has long fascinated me 
um, for pretty much my entire life, really. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a heist movie. It's a tense thriller. It stars uh, Jazz Deal from EastEnders, and it's currently doing a, a festival run at the moment. And uh, with that, I actually just got uh, news today that it has been officially selected for the Mumbai International Cult Film Festival. No way! Uh, Big yes, one, Agwanin. One more, uh, yeah, one more to add to the to the list of uh, festivals that it's been accepted into. So um, looks like it's certainly hitting uh, hitting some uh, good tones out there. Yeah, that was great to see. Um, so how many festivals has it hit here in the UK? Well, it's funny you should ask that question. Um, so far, it has been rejected for every British film festival that I have sent it to. What um, a surprise. What a surprise, yes. This film about um, the British Raj and, uh, you know, criticizing kind of the actions of the British Raj back then. Um, and so it's kind of led to it not being selected for any British film festivals. Wow. Um, but it's good uh, enough and, for America, India, uh, yeah, around it, the whole um, world. Eight, eight different countries have selected it um, for, or for screening uh, around the world. But um, this British film made by a British director starring a British cast made by a British crew about a British uh, topic set in modern day Britain, filmed in Pinewood Studios, the most famous British film studio of them all. Um, doesn't seem to be good enough for British film festivals. Well, so there you go. Maybe the film festivals just need to catch up to the stories that we actually want to tell. No, I yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, well, it's like I said, the world is your oyster. So, you know, if this one little small island um, doesn't see what it's got given in front of it, then the rest of the world will sit up and take notice anyway um but we've seen mountain of light very very much enjoyed it looking forward to it um coming out on national release at some point so do make sure you let us know when that is and we can relay that information to our listeners a lot of people have shown interest already so um listen in on one of our future shows when we'll be telling you all about when mountain of light is out there um ashish gadvi where can people find you on social media uh, they can find me at at Ash Gadvi, A-S-H-G-A-D-H-V-I on Instagram. Lovely. And Ash, at Ash Gadvi on Twitter also. Yeah, but I don't really use it. Oh, okay. I'm trying to get off Twitter. I'm trying to get off social media. Just, you know, reject the system, people. You know, take back your lives. Talk to people. Talk to one another. Listen to podcasts. Listen to ours, as you're currently doing right now. Thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you so much to Ashish Gadvi for joining us. Um, hopefully see you soon when this all dies down. Yes, indeed. Yeah, hope to see you soon. And uh, if the listeners take away anything from this podcast, then just remember, never trust a white guy with a pressure cooker. No, no truer word has ever been said. Well, that is it from this week's episode, the Halloween special of the native immigrants. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking all things Melatopia. So until then, I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. Yes. And I'm Ash Gadby. <laughs> <laughs> you almost threw me off for a second. I was like, really? <laughs> um, but um, we'll be back next week for more of the same. Peace. Peace.